and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney. We don't have a Rossi with us this week because he's actually mid-traveling between BlizzCon and Canada where he's supposed to be. Except that, uh, yeah, he's in an airport right now, so he couldn't be with us, unfortunately. That's okay. He'll be back with us next week, and we'll be talking all things Diablo 4, because we're not going to do that without Rossi. Um, However, I do have one of my usual co-hosts with me today, and I've also got another special guest. So first up, let's talk about the other regular co-host. That would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe, how's it going? I am still coming off that BlizzCon high. I know, right? So much information and so much lore, and I am stoked about all of my brain has been working overtime the last 24 hours like picking apart everything we've been told and then tying it together with existing theories I had and then throwing out theories of mine that I thought were correct and are not correct and yeah it's just kind of crazy um we also have another like I said very special co-host with us today he's another Blizzard Watch employee and he is super into lore and that would be Crow hey Crow how's it going hey Anne hey Joe (laughs) Uh, it is it's it's going good. Uh, it, has, it has definitely been a pretty wild weekend in, in just in terms of all things. But this is I, I, this has been a pretty fantastic BlizzCon, all things considered. Yeah. Um, I was expecting Diablo 4. I was not expecting Overwatch 2. But, you know, you had those leaks like right before the convention. And then I got really excited about it. Um, and Shadowlands is, wow, is that something else altogether? Um That cinematic, I wasn't expecting to get like a fully rendered cinematic like that, like right at the onset. Um, We're going to talk, I think, I think first, let's go ahead and just touch on Overwatch 2, just, just for a little bit here. Um, Mostly because we had talked about this before, and we've talked about this before on Lore Watch, on how Overwatch is one of those games where it's like, you've got your 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 player base the ones that are really into first person shooters and pvp and everything like that but then there's like this unsung audience of non-players out there who are out there and specifically looking at the events and looking at the story and looking at the lore and they're devouring all of the comics and they're reading all or they're watching all the cinematics and they're getting really into the story they just don't have any story to play um and we had talked about the fact that Blizzard's smartest move here would be to introduce a story that they could play. This feels like it's not quite like the single player RPG kind of thing that I was looking for, but it's basically they took those special missions, the special PvE missions that they had in Overwatch for the special events, and they have made an entire game mode out of it. And that's what Overwatch 2 is. Obviously, there are new maps and there are new heroes and everything, but if you're not interested in the story, you don't have to pick up Overwatch 2. You don't need it. It's not It's not really... If you just want to play the maps and you want to play the new heroes, you can do that with the original game that you already have. You don't have to, you know, obtain Overwatch 2 to get access to that content. That content is always going to be available to you. So if you're not interested in the story or anything like that, you just want to play the new heroes on the new maps and, you know, kick the snot out of each other, you can certainly keep doing that um but that unsung audience the one that had nothing to play they've got something to play now and i think that's fantastic how do you guys feel about that joe honestly if you go back to one of the very first times we ever talked about overwatch on lore watch which we've done a few times yeah uh, 
we specifically asked for that. We asked for story mode in game because we love the comics. We love the stories. We love what they've been putting out there as far as like outside of the game. But there's always been this sort of disconnect, at least for me, where I want to experience things in game as these characters. I want to play through these moments. I want the in-between stuff. Part of that for me is because over the years, the interactions between characters in the game, like the voice lines and stuff, have been so good and offered insight or things that like the stories don't, that seeing how they react in these story moments and having those little moments would be a big deal for me. So I'm super excited about this because I want to play through these. I want to see how these characters interact with each other. I want to play through the stories. And also because it feels like the story is going to move forward, which is something we've talked about in the past as well. Everything we've had so far has basically been flashbacks or moments that have already happened. It is very it's rare. It's been kind of like a st- establishing um, backstory for everybody, exactly. really. Uh, and it, go ahead. I was going to say, it's like if you're watching like an episode of a TV show and they do like callbacks to season one, that's what it feels like to me. Kind of, yeah. Or like the entire first season of a TV show is nothing but flashbacks to things and establishing that, characters that, that that you didn't see necessarily, but they're going to be important towards whatever is coming up next. That kind of thing, but you don't actually get that payoff of what what's coming up next. Now yep. we do. Uh, Crow, I'm sorry, I'm going to let you talk here. What do you think about Overwatch Two? <laughs> no, um, that uh, sorry. There's a. I think part of what's happening is that when when Chris Madsen introduced Overwatch at the very beginning, he talked about it being Blizzard's first new franchise in like, what, 16 or 17 years at the time uh, when he introduced it. And I think that something that the team has been dealing with is how do we build a franchise that's on par with all of the other franchises that we've built up so far and make it something that has the same degree of depth, has got the same degree of, of engagement from people as those other things, even though we only have the one game and it's not a story-oriented game. So how do we accomplish that? And I think that with Overwatch, with how much you can see it's it's drawing inspiration from a lot of different sources, but also drawing inspiration specifically from comic books and the history of comic books that we've seen, it really feels like what they've done is we're going to, you know, create the comic book universe. We're going to tell stories in a comic book kind of style. And some of that's going to be an actual digital comic books. Some of it's going to be in these animated shorts, but all of this is going to lay the groundwork for us to do like the first round of the cinematic universe where we do these short films that establish these characters and it's doing all of that and laying all of that groundwork, doing all of that table setting so that then we can have a cinematic like we just had now with zero hour leading into overwatch two and have this be, this is the Avengers moment when everybody's getting together to do the thing. So this it's, it's been a long game since the start of this to make it so that now everyone is invested into Overwatch as a universe. Everyone is here and they have as much invested in this as they do in Warcraft or Starcraft or Diablo. And, and that's, I mean, it's, I don't want to call it like four dimensional chess, but it's definitely a, uh, a, it has been a very, a very well curated experience uh, is perhaps the best way to put it. Yeah. And I think, um, I think the challenge and what was the difficulty for them at that point in time was the fact that when they introduced the game, Chris Metzen was up there on stage and he said, here's our baby. And he shows us the cinematic that has the, these characters that were immediately 
entranced with. Like, we're just enchanted with these guys, right? And we want to see more of them. And this little tidbit, tiniest tidbit of story with these two kids in this museum and the little bit of backstory snippet that we got about Overwatch itself. And the way that they folded that all together was so entrancing that everybody was immediately like, I don't know what kind of game this is, but I love it and I want more. I want more of whatever this is. And then when they said, okay, it's going to be first person shooter PVP, everybody was kind of like, huh, okay. Well, they kept coming out with those cinematics over the course of that first year and that really continued to draw people into the story aspect of things because it showed these moments from these characters and what's important to them and that kind of thing. But five years... Overwatch has been out for five years now and it's really kind of blows my mind to think about because it doesn't feel like it's been five years, but it's been five well, it's, years. It's, it's been four, four, four and a half years, four and a half years. Cause it'll it came out in 20. 20- yeah, but it'll, it'll be, be five years by the time the game comes out. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. When we get, when we get the anniversary event, it's going to be the fifth year anniversary event this year. So, or well, next year, technically speaking, um, regardless it, it, it's the game has been out an exceptionally long time and not really gone forward with that story at all. They keep releasing little cinematics here and there. They keep releasing little short stories and tidbits and things here. They keep releasing new heroes. But the very genre that they chose to place this game in makes it really limiting as far as how much story they can introduce because within the context of the game itself, it's just not possible. Yeah, you can have these little you know, asides between characters, but how often are you paying attention to those voice lines when you're on the field fighting? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think Doomfist is about as far as they've got to like, really like pushing the story forward because like that massively changed maps, but not like in the way that they're played, but like the visuals of like your starting areas and stuff like that. Um, And I think the payload and things like that. But yeah. And I think that when they first came out with um, Junkenstein's revenge, I think was the first kind of PVE thing that they did. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was. It was. It was the first one that they did. When they came out with that, obviously it was a ha-ha, let's have fun Halloween event kind of thing. But at the same time, I think that that was kind of a trial run where they were like, yeah, okay, we can do a PvE environment in this game with this engine. We We can make that happen. And then when they came out with the anniversary event like the first flashback kind of not retribution what was the other one it was the first one that they uprising Uprising. king's row uprising yeah king's row uprising when they came out with that one it was like okay no here's how we can frame a story so i feel like they've just been kind of like building up to this and finding the best framework to actually do it without building an entirely new game and that's kind of genius too the fact that all of this is going to run pretty much on overwatch's existing engine yeah they're up upgrading the engine a little bit it's but it's not a brand new engine they have all the maps they have all the materials they have all the models they could just it, put it together <laughs> it, it felt like they spent a lot of time proving that they could do it with what they yeah had. yeah and they did yeah so i'm really excited to see how this turns out i haven't seen a lot of feedback yet on people who have played the overwatch 2 demo um i'm still looking for more information about that because i'm stoked when do you guys think this is going to be coming out? I'm thinking it's uh, going to be the end of next year. Joe, you go first. Uh, okay, Joe, you go first after Anne. Anne's already gone. Go, Joe. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, I would not be surprised if it's a uh, holiday 2020, possibly early 2021. My bet is, uh, like, I, I really think that, you know, 
they will probably release it when it's ready, but I think that they will probably aim to have it ready to align with the regular anniversary that happens at the end of May. So I, that I am soon, willing. You think? No, 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 no. Not this coming May. I, oh, I think that it's probably going to be 2021. 2021. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm betting it's going to be around then. It could be earlier than that. I don't think they'll necessarily stick to the anniversary if they don't have to, if they, you know, if they are ready to push it ahead of that. But the longer they wait, I think the greater amount of content there's going to be when it comes out, because certainly like people are talking about the Rio mission that they were playing on the floor as already being like a, a longer and more organized version of uh, the storm rising archives mission that we had earlier this year. And so if, if they are creating tools and demonstrating a way to be able to build these missions better and larger and with more material in them, then I think that that just means that when this finally comes out, it's going to have a lot of stuff in it. The longer it takes for them to come out, the, the, the more stuff is going to be there. But obviously, we don't want to wait too long because, you know, now that we see the potential of this storytelling and now that we know we're not getting an archives event in 2020, um, then yeah no uh, I'm I'm eager for this to happen as soon as it's physically possible and if it if it ends up being 2020 I'm not going to complain if it's 2021 I'll be just as happy I just I feel like that this is an ideal okay let's be clear here it's not going to come out next fall because next fall is probably going to be relegated to World of Warcraft Shadowlands and we're going to talk about that in a minute um, however I, I feel like that this is an ideal game to throw out there for the holiday season. I think that the marketing for it would be fantastic for like a holiday release. And I think that they would sell buku copies if they did it right in time for, you know, the Christmas so season. Here, here's a question for you guys, because yeah. this is something that I was thinking about. There's been a lot of talk about like Overwatch one players getting the Overwatch two stuff and not having to, I, I haven't seen confirmation of it, but I heard not having to buy like a whole new thing. Do we think that there'll be two releases? One where, there's going to be an upgrade pushed to Overwatch one players first and then a massive release second with all the additional content. I think that we will see kind of a simultaneous thing. When Overwatch 2 debuts, there's going to be a patch release to Overwatch 1 that unlocks all of that content. I don't know if they're going to give like, no, you know what? That might be a fun idea, though. If they if they opened up those new maps and things to people that are already playing Overwatch One, so that they get like a sneak peek, an advanced sneak peek of what's going to be going on in Overwatch Two. Now, the reason I think about that or thought about that is because how many people got Overwatch free last year with uh, BlizzCon? Was it BlizzCon and the virtual tickets? I think they gave it out for free. I'm not sure. I don't remember. They gave it out for free? Really? Wow. Yeah, you were allowed. You, they gave Overwatch uh, copies of Overwatch for a very limited time. It was like a two week span that you could claim it. Um, the reason I know this is a bunch of people in my WoW guild who had no interest in the game whatsoever, but had, I, I can't remember if it was a virtual ticket or if it was for another celebration, but because it was free, they sprung into it. But yeah. it wasn't really something they wanted because, like us, they were looking for more story stuff. But now with this stuff, I'm wondering if they might do something like that to try to get those people installed in playing again ahead of the release of two in order to get them ready for two in order to sort of draw them in and show where where it's going to go and then seamlessly release two and have that content available just a thought that doesn't seem Um, like a terrible idea sorry crow go ahead well uh yeah it doesn't seem like a terrible idea I'm, i'm imagining it being more kind of like how we've seen expansion launches happen in world of warcraft where you know you have like the 2.0 
yeah. uh, you know, data pre-patch. release where the pre-patch that comes out and changes all the systems things and, and gets that part done. But then you don't actually get access to the new content until the actual release date of that content when it all turns on. Now, in the case of Overwatch, the way it's sounding right now mm-hmm. is that, you know, there'll be that systems patch where, you know, everyone gets the new UI and the upgrades to the engine. I imagine we'll see more of those like sort of siphoning in as they make upgrades to the engine over time and push them out for release. Um, but I think that when they do the full release of, you know, here is when the story missions and the hero missions are going to be available, then, you know, that'll be, hey, they're available now. If you're not going to buy Overwatch 2, nothing changes because you're still going to get new maps and new heroes will be, you know, released. And those are all going to be released to everyone who's playing an Overwatch game. So all of that crossplay will be there. Um, so I think that, uh, I think that what'll, what'll happen is that you'll see a hard release of the story missions and hero missions, but that's going to come after everybody's already got like a bunch of the mechanical upgrades in place. So that, so I don't know if it'll be two separate releases necessarily, but just a staged release over time. Do you think, do you think, because they did say that it was going to be like an upgraded engine for Overwatch 2. Do you think that upgraded engine is also going to be imported into like original Overwatch? Do you think they're going to patch that in? Oh yeah, definitely. Like something that happened a few weeks ago that uh, I don't think, I really don't think anybody was talking about it, but there was a patch note um, for, for Overwatch that was saying that, you know, uh, this is going to be a larger patch than normal because this is a complete remaster of the engine. So uh, be prepared for, you know, some large data movement to take place and for, you know, you have to log out of the game for a while because this isn't something that could be hot fixed. When I saw that, I was thinking, this is kind of a big deal that they're doing this. I wonder why. And now hearing that, you know, that Overwatch 2 is going to be running on a, you know, an upgraded version of this engine, it sounds like a remaster of the existing engine is groundwork being laid for that coming down the line. So certainly I think that, yeah, it, it sounds like it's going that it's going to be, everyone is going to be logging into Overwatch 2. Like, that is going to be, there's not going to be a new icon on the launcher, but yeah. instead, just like, you're logging into Overwatch 2 now is what's happening. Yeah, you're playing Overwatch 1, you're playing the PvP. You're Basically, Overwatch 1 is limiting you to the PvP stuff on, on Overwatch well, 2. You don't get the story missions or anything. Now, I'm wondering, are they still going to do the anniversary, like, are they going to do new anniversary events for the people that are in Overwatch 1? Or are they just going to relegate all of that to Overwatch 2? Because people really enjoy the anniversary stuff. They enjoy the holiday events. So I, I, I'm wondering... I don't imagine them gaining that. I don't. I, I, I don't think they would. No. Yeah, no, totally. Because like, it, it, and I and I made this comparison the other day when we were recording the after uh, BlizzCon thing, but I think it's apt when you look at a game like Fortnite and how they launch and handle their their events. There's two different versions of it. There's the free to play battle royale, and then there's the paid story mission thing where they have their little mission thing, but it's all one interface you log into. When there's a event that is a holiday event or something like that, everybody gets access to it regardless of whether they paid or didn't. Like everybody can go play it, everybody can go have fun, and I think that's a smart way to do it. And I think, I think Blizzard as a whole is smart enough to do it that way as well, where it's everybody gets to have fun, everybody gets to have this enjoyment. Because if people are enjoying your product, they're more likely to spend money on it, and that's a good thing. So, 
Okay. Something something that, that that I wanted to lean into real quick that is is important to the business model of Overwatch Two is this, because we know uh, Jeff Kaplan said that you know they they don't want to ever split the player base in terms of saying well you know these characters who bought something have or, or the, these players who bought this upgrade have these heroes and these maps and these players who didn't buy it don't they're not going to do that they want all players to have access to all the maps and all the heroes and. The reason why I think that's very important and why it plays into the business model they're doing is because if you get a hero for free and you fall in love with that hero's interactions, you fall in love with how that hero plays, uh, and you know, you're know you're really interested in what that hero's story is all about, and then Blizzard says, oh, hey, look, here is uh, a story mission that we're unlocking in Overwatch 2 that is you know, this character's story and you know what they have going on. They're interacting with these particular heroes. And then you might um, be more interested interested in purchasing that upgrade exactly so the free heroes and the free maps are basically demo versions of content that they will gate behind uh, funds in overwatch 2 and it's like that is that is a way to get people to make the conversion over to that you know upgraded uh, experience and upgraded purchase and you know again obviously sorry go ahead no, no, that was it. Up, uh, of course, loot boxes and period. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, for me, Overwatch always felt like you had this big story that was going on and then the game itself was like you were taking these characters, taking these heroes from this really weird, interesting, cool story and you were essentially playing with action figures. You're, you're playing with action figures, you're putting them on a map, you're smashing them together, you're da 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 you know, that kind of thing. It, it, you could have Widowmaker and Tracer on the same team and it wouldn't really matter because it's just action figures, right? You're just beating action figures together. It, it doesn't reflect the story at all. Overwatch 2 feels like, hi, we'd like to tell you this story now. And I'm really excited to see where that goes. But we should go ahead and move on here because um, we have another thing that's really big and we need to talk about it. And that's World of Warcraft Shadowlands. And I'm just going to sit back and Joe, I'm going to let you and Crow talk about this for a little bit here. Nice. Go for it, Joe. There's just so much. I don't know where to start. Let's just just start with that cinematic, though. Okay? Let's just... So the cinematic opens up with this wonderful sequence. First of all, if you haven't watched it, pause now, go watch it, and then come back. You're going to do yourself a favor. Yeah, oh, spoilers. Lots yeah. of spoilers. There, just you know. yeah, there's going to be tons of spoilers. So look, if you're if you're if you're watching this and you've been paying attention to BlizzCon, you know this information already. If you haven't been paying attention to BlizzCon, then maybe you shouldn't be listening to this episode. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. All right. Cinematic. Unless unless you want us to spoil everything, in which case we shall do so well, now. Joe, we're about to they do come that right that. now. They know that. Yeah. yeah. So, uh... so the entire sequence opens up with what we kind of hoped it would be, which is a battle between uh, Sylvanas and Bolvar. Basically, Sylvanas shows back up at Ice I called this last week. We all like we were all on the same page on this oh, one. Oh, my God. We called Folks... so much of this last week. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Uh, and she's there for initially it looks like revenge against the Lich King, right? Yeah, no, uh, sh- they have this epic battle back and forth, huge spell effects, Bolvar doing things we've never seen a Lich King do before, which I thought was really, really cool. Such Look, as when his eyes, pieces of Serenite through the air, when his eyes went from flames to ice, Oh, yeah. I I mean, I was sitting here watching this in my house and I'm glad nobody else was here because I was just screeching through this whole thing. Anyway. 
Well, uh, and I'll talk about that later uh, because I made a really bad Photoshop of why that is important. Uh, but <laughs> not only did we see that, but like the battle rages on this is epic combat between the two and Sylvanas win. And she sits there and she picks up the helm from Bolvar. He's no longer wearing the helm of domination at this point. And she's holding it in her hands and it looks like she's about to place it on her head. And then she rips it in half. And when she does, there's this universe shattering screech of basically like the universe is unraveling as the veil between the prime material plane and the Shadowlands is dissolved in just this amazing sequence of the sky shattering. And we see above Ice Crown, directly above Ice Crown Citadel, is another tower, an inverted tower. Not not Karazhan, folks. I know a bunch of people were, were asking if it was the inverted part of Karazhan. It is not. Hey, do you think well, the you upside down do you think there. the upside down Karazhan is exists in the Shadowlands? I think oh, it does God, actually. It Are we gonna get to see it? I'm really I think, excited. I that that's one of my theories. I think it is, because I think Medivh would know how to do something like that and create a pocket dimension. And we know now that there are tons of small dimensions and planar pockets inside of the Shadowlands. So why not? Um but yeah, and then that's what it is. And there's some key things that are said during the sequence, like Bolvar telling her, telling Sylvanas that the power that she seeks will be her prison. That is not a throwaway line, especially when we started to find out a bunch of the other things that are coming down the line. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll let Crow talk now before I go any further. Um, I, I want to focus predominantly on, uh, on my reaction to watching that sequence because yeah, I mean, you know, like, like with everybody else, like as soon as we saw some of the leaks coming out and knew that Bolvar was going to be involved, that immediately communicated some things that were probably going to be in the cinematic. Um, but the, I, I, I have to be completely honest and say that I am so tired of Sylvanas winning. She just keeps she just gets to keep winning like virtually every fight that she goes through. Like even the fight that we saw her have against Sourfang, you know, at the, at the end here of BFA. Handily win. Yeah. She handily wins it. And the only reason she loses is because of like, Oh wait, no, I lost the horde because I said that they actually, you know, were nothing. And I was honest for once and I lost, but that means I still get to run away. So it's like, she doesn't really lose. She just like, oh, okay, fine. You can have the horde, whatever. But I'm I'm super tired of Sylvanas winning, and I am I have to ad- admit to being grumpy that you know Bolvar with everything every new thing like exactly like you were saying Joe like being able to summon a blizzard and you know control the Serenite of the throne and throw it everywhere these are amazing things that Sylvanas would have had no reason to have anticipated or seen before well and she just dances past them and I'm like oh man except. Maybe there is. Except, yeah, and um, I want to talk about that because um, one sec. Well, for, first of all, can I throw it out there that I was right that Bolvar is not the bad guy? Love it. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. I mean, we, good job. We, we had talked about that. I mean, you know, back when Bolvar first put that helm on his head, I said, wouldn't it be really, really cool if at some point in the future we were fighting some really terrible, strange, huge, bad thing, and then Bolvar just shows up with an army of scour- scourge and says, sup, here to help. 
Like, wouldn't that be <laughs> like the most amazing moment? We're obviously not going to get that now because uh, his shiny hat, no, number one, he doesn't have the hat anymore. Number two, the hat's in pieces. So, yeah. Um, basically, Sylvanas pulled a caddy at the end of uh, Mean Girls and snapped the crown in half. Um I... <laughs> I think the helm was a little different as far as its importance. I don't think it was necessarily 100%. Like, yeah, it controls the mindless undead, but I think we saw the most important part of that sequence here, what the helm actually was. It's a gateway. It's a gateway. And we had had the cues. We had the the hints for this all along, and we didn't put the pieces together, but that's okay. We can't put the pieces together right every time. Sometimes Blizzard is very clever. This is one of those times where they were like, because they hey, said, wanna... like, the crown is the key, and we kind of went to Anduin, and we kind of went, we didn't quite go to Bolvar, and maybe we should have gone to the Lich King's crown, but we didn't. I mean, I'm going to I'm gonna toot my own horn here. I did say that last week, that I mm. bet you that the crown is a king, uh, key to the Shadowlands. Yeah, there was something. I absolutely yeah, did. That. You did say that last week, but I'm talking about, like, earlier on. Yeah, we no, they, they've, been, about, they've been hinting at it for years. When we were talking about, like, old god stuff and things like that. And this, actually, like that. this actually goes all the way back to the short story edge of night and this was mentioned at blizzcon um i forget who was talking about it but there was an interview where they were talking about it and they said that this goes back to edge of night because what we didn't understand and we still don't have like the the whole picture here but we have a better picture now is what happens to souls after they die and it turns out the shadowlands isn't just one place it's like several different realms of existence and what happens is your soul will get ferried over there this creature called the arbiter will decide where your soul needs to reside and you will get sent to wherever you need to go um this is where it gets a little bit interesting because when sylvanas died when she threw herself off the frozen throne she went to the maw and the maw is a place where souls that are basically judged as unredeemable go it's where arthas went it's where a lot of other people went um obviously sylvanas didn't like this darkness and eternal torment it really didn't suit her at all so when the valkyr showed up and said hey we've got a deal for you she took the deal um we didn't know exactly what that deal, what the constraints of that deal were, other than the Valkyr were binding themselves to Sylvanas, and so long as they were around, she couldn't die, and she wouldn't go to the Maw. She, her soul wouldn't go to the Maw. What we know now is that the Maw is overseen by this being called the Jailer, who is, in fact, the actual Jailer of the Damned. It's not the Lich King. Um, and it was... The Valkyr were pretty much speaking on the Jailer's behalf. One of the other things that we know is that within the Maw, there is a dungeon called Torghast, which is, it's like a roguelike, which I find really interesting. Every time you go in... It is the Tower of the Damned. Yeah, and every time you go in, the maps are a little bit different, things are a little bit different, and you get to fight your way through it. But one of the fascinating things that they mentioned was that as you go through that tower, you're going to learn more about the origins of Frostmourne and the origins of the Helm of Domination. And to me, that's everything. Because if it all ties back to the Maw, then that means that Kill Jaden, in his judicious whatever it was he did to get that Helm and cram Nair's soul in it well did something 
that let's, maybe he didn't even comprehend. But I, well, you know what? Let's let's talk about that. Let's unpack that a little bit because we found out some stuff about that that I think is really important. Yeah. First, I think there is a system here in play that we're seeing as players coming up that was actually in play long beforehand. First of all, we know that the Shadowlands existed before Azeroth in the universe was ever ordered or touched by the Titans. We've been told that flat out. Absolutely, right? So if the Titans get there, Sargeras was a Titan, and they reorder Azeroth, they know that it's there. They have it. They, they, they understand that there's this pocket dimension that maybe they can't touch, right? They know about it. They know that this massively powerful set of creatures exists there. Kill Jaden, and he was a trusted lieutenant, trusted general of Sargeras who coveted knowledge, who used, uh, what is it, the Nathrazine to, to get every little extra piece of knowledge he possibly could, because that's just who he was. There's absolutely a link there that he probably knew about this, figured this out, and knew about soul binding. And what if that's what the helm was? Just a piece of soul binding, taking the power from this trapped entity, this massively, stupendously powerful and evil jailer, binding it to the will of whoever wears the helm to allow them control over these souls. Because what was the Lich King called? The Jailer of the Damned? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like a mini jailer. He and, and they're keeping souls essentially from crossing over into this land because they're being shoved back into bodies and death knights and all these other like twisted forms of things, which I also think plays into what Bolvar was doing. And why he was raising so many Death Knights, because he knew that the Maw was sucking them in or that it was broken, because he obviously knew what was happening when Sylvanas was taking him down and shattering the helm. He knew what was going to happen. And maybe that's why he was raising all these Death Knights. I need these warriors alive to be able to fight. Otherwise, they're just going to be trapped in the Maw like so many others I couldn't get to. Like, I think that's important. This Which... is a fascinating part. And um, I actually, I got a question in the queue for tomorrow, technically speaking, because today is Sunday. But... um. People will be listening to this on Wednesday. So it was Monday's cue. Go back and read it if you're listening to this on Wednesday. If you're listening to it on Sunday, um, check it out tomorrow. Time is weird and Chromie may or may not be involved. However, somebody said, why didn't Sylvanas just kill Bolvar at that point? And I, my answer to that was, once she got that helm, Bolvar lost all meaning. He's meaningless. He's worthless. He's, he's worse than worthless because he cannot die. Because the flames of the red dragonflight mm-hmm. keep him alive. And really, when he put that helm on, he existed as the perfect balance between life and death. He was this creature that was bound eternally to life, but he was also bound just as much to the realm of the dead. And he yep. was standing betwixt them both. Um, yeah. Part of me. No, I can, I can feel that. It makes sense. Part of me is wondering if the whole three lies the king will tell you or whatever, you remember that that whole thing? If they were mm-hmm. talking about Magni or if they were talking about Bolvar all but along. Bolvar, the, the interesting thing here is there, there's a sort of weird gray area where Bolvar falls into. He's the Lich King, yes, but he wasn't a king in life. So I'm curious. I'm curious if there's he a was the regent. There. He was he... the regent of Stormwind for a little while. Not technically not the king, king, but... Yeah, those are... Yeah. It's still, the... it's still... I mean, we got information from Bolvar. We did get information from Bolvar. We got information from Bolvar when uh, we took Vol'jin. Like, we were trying to figure out That's what was going on with Vol'jin. Um, no, now, I want to I wanna move on here because we're, we're working with a very limited amount of time. And there's something I need to get to. Uh, and you guys will understand <laughs> why when I get to it. Okay, look... 
one of the things that they said in the deep dive panel was that the maw is basically that's where the souls go that are unredeemable there's another place called uh i believe it's ravenhurst if i remember correctly um or ravenhurst i I can't remember all of the names, you guys. I'm very sorry. But there's a place where souls will go where they are tortured, but they are brought low because they can be brought back to redemption. And that's that's one of the four covenants that you can choose to follow. The Maw is basically, yeah, there's no hope of redemption for you. You're just a very terrible person. So you're going to exist here eternally in torment. And one of the things that they said was that something broke with the engine of death. Mm-hmm. And now all souls are going to the maw. Well, they, we broke a bunch of that, didn't we? They referred to the engine of death as like machinery. And I keep going back to Titan. Argus. Yeah, with how demons were processed. and Yeah, and I'm wondering if Antorus wasn't just a Titan creation, but was something far beyond maybe it was something that the titans usurped and were using for something that they didn't quite understand but the point is the burning legion took it they took it for their own means and they were using it for their own purpose and it was that same kind of thing where it was processing souls but it was allowing those demonic souls to come back and then we broke it and i'm wondering if all of this is kind of our fault (laughs) <laughs> yeah, not- I, I gotta say, I don't think I'd be too terribly surprised. Neither would I, because we're really good at messing things up. <laughs> Listen, I've been saying from the very beginning, as heroes in this game, as champions, we are really great of not thinking two steps forward. And and that's like what this stuff is. Like when we broke Antorus, we didn't think what were we doing? We just did it because it was the immediate threat. And when and we went to go fight the Lich King admittedly there's a lot of the people who were telling us what we were breaking might not necessarily have been privy to 100 percent of the information i don't think think they even knew what they were doing exactly right and that's the thing like i don't even think the titans understood completely and that's again because this predates them and i think that's something that we need to keep in mind like the shadowlands and we, we talk about this it's not just this engine of death that the titans created it's not just limited to the titans didn't create it Exactly. It was just there. It was, it's part of the universe. It is a completely separate. It's a layer of the universe that has always existed. And maybe the Titans created an engine that would ferry those souls. Maybe they did that. Those souls. That would like send them to where they needed to go. But they they didn't know. It's entirely likely they had no idea what would happen to those souls once they were sent to wherever it was until Odin made that deal. Yeah. Huh? If you think about that too, right? Like one of the things they said during the panels is that the Valkyr were a mechanic to bring the souls to the Arbiter, right? Like they ferried people over. They ferried the souls across. We broke that a long time ago. Odin broke that a long time ago. Basically yeah, all of this may be Odin's stuff. fault. It's all Odin's fault. Yeah. I mean, I'm always, I'm always down for blaming Odin. And but- yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I can't wait to hear Rossi's reaction to all of this. <laughs> Because we know how he feels about Odin. <laughs> but it explains a lot, too, especially if the it's not the Arbiter, it, but if it's the Jailer that is the entity that had this information, it's been there forever, right? It's it's a, a cosmic power that that's the one that made the deal. Because we talked about this before just a little bit. Helia, going back to her, 
she obviously is serving something, right? And we're talking about before Odin, before she was made into a uh, Valkyr against her will, the first of the Valkyr. She was a very powerful magic user. She was a Titan assistant, essentially. She helped craft the elemental planes. Where did she get that information from? How did she know how to craft those planes? Titans didn't do it. She did. The Shadowlands had separate planes of existence mm-hmm. before the Titans ever did anything. Before yep. Helia was even a creation. So if Helia is looking for all these things and Odin says, I need you to figure out a couple things. Go do this. And she makes contact with this entity that happens to reach out to her and say, I've got the information you need. You know what? Here you go. Here's how you create planes. Go ahead. Do your thing. I'll be here when you want to come talk to me again next because you're going to want to talk to me. Then Odin goes, hey, that was really good work. You you did some great jobs. Now I need this done. Can you go and, and put me in contact with who taught you how about the planes? Sure. No problem. Makes the contact. You know what? I will give you the information you need. These Valkyr that I've seen for countless time in memoriam, but I need your eye. Okay. Wait a second. Wait a sec. So what you're saying is that now the jailer is Rocket Raccoon from Gardens of the Galaxy. I've got a plan, but I but I need a leg. Work. I think it's more he needed. I think it's more he needed a way to physically see into our plane. That could be. I now the only thing that makes me wonder about that is that when we see that last little tidbit of Sylvanas standing in front of that entity, and I'm assuming that that entity is the jailer. He does have both eyes. So what I'm wondering here is the entity well, he would have that, somewhere. yeah, but the entity that Helia contacted, the one that gave Odin the means to peer into all of this, was that the arbiter or was that the jailer? I think it was the jailer. I also I had the theory that was I it, it was it the arbiter though because the thing is is the arbiter is the one who deals with those souls as they're ferried in. So you would think that the arbiter would have a vested interest in helping us shuttle souls to him or her why, or it. But why would if Odin wanted to circumvent the natural process, which is what he wanted to, why would he make that? Now that that's the only part that sticks with me with that one. Yeah. Also. If these, if the arbiter and the jailer have existed for all time, let, let's make that assumption that the maw existed for this this massive, you know, uh, souls of the dam, the ones that are irredeemable. There has to be somebody there to keep them, right? But what if he made that deal or made that decision without realizing that he also would be trapped there? Yeah. And now he's looking for a way out. If he's existed as long as the arbiter has, and th- this is a common theme, a lot of the cosmology with. Uh, the Blizzard IPs where these these two gods look at, we can go back to Diablo at some point and talk about the, the two different gods, Light and Shadow. But if there's these two entities that are equally powerful and have equal knowledge and have been there forever, like, obviously Valkyr brings souls to him if he's the Jailer. But that's what makes me think about I'm also wondering if the Lantern of Helia was Odin's eye. Huh. Because that's, that's a, that's a it was fascinating blue. theory. It was blue, just like the helm of, of the Lich King, just like the Arbiter's eyes. What if the Arbiter took this time, saw what he needed to do, found the person he needed with, with Sylvanas, set this all in the motion. the Jailer instead of... Sorry, the, the, jailer, the Jailer, excuse me, sorry. Yeah. Um, set this all in motion after charging the eye with his power, making it blue instead of red, because Odin's eyes are red, gave it to Helia and said, give this to Sylvanas. We're going to start this whole plan. Because when she goes after Ayer, it's blue chains that are wrapping around her before the thing gets smashed. 
We don't know what it was. We don't know why Helia had it. If Helia had an artifact that powerful, why wasn't she doing it with other people? That thing was intended to entrap the Valkyr that were serving under Odin. Who were taking souls and instead of bringing them to the Maw, instead of bringing them to the Shadowlands, were putting them in construct bodies in Odin's halls. And basically usurping that whole... Cycle. Ooh, There's so much so it, to talk about. It is all Odin's fault. Odin yeah. is the one who broke sure. it, and now everything's sure. getting funneled into the Maw. And <laughs> oh, do you God. think do you think I, we're gonna have a moment where we like actually confront Odin and go, "You are such a jerk. The only reason you did this was because you were ticked off that a bunch of dragons were gonna do your job that you weren't doing." Yep. Oh my God! Oh, when you think about it, when you think about it, and go back in again, like Joe was saying, into the mythological constructs of 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 where Blizzard gets their inspiration from, it makes a lot of sense to have Odin be as petty as that because Zeus oh, in Greek mythology absolutely. is exactly that petty mm-hmm. but the thing that Zeus keeps doing isn't really PG-13 so they can't <laughs> like they can't really duplicate that as readily <laughs> oh, I'm because, so happy you're here, bro. <laughs> there will be no there will be no swan Odin just saying swans do not exist <laughs> waterfowl does not exist on Azeroth so we're okay with that um, for so many reasons. <laughs> anyway, uh, except seagulls. No, seagulls. Now yeah. to go to go further too, like and mm-hmm. going back a little bit, and I think this also this is something else I wanted to bring up because I thought it was really important. We also we talked about we don't know what the deal Helia made with Sylvanas. I think we do. Yeah, at least a little bit, and I don't think it's this so much. No, I think it's Helia wanted freedom. Helia knew that the jailer could shatter the Shadowlands so she could get out. Because that's literally what happened. But what if the deal was you need to put all of these souls, as many souls as you can, into the Shadowland? My, you need my to murder first, as much as possible. Yeah, my first thought, my first thought on all of this um, initially, and I tweeted this too, was that the deal that Sylvanas made from Hel- with Helia was, I'll give you the lamp, you go break the helm. And yep. Because she wanted out. I don't think that that's the case anymore. I think that you're probably more correct with that. Because what did Sylvanas do after that lantern was broken? She stepped out of the way. She let us fight the Burning Legion. She didn't even like step into any of it. Because she knew so many people were going to die. And also, eventually, we were going to mess with Antorus. There's a stage two here. Yeah. I think as well. And I think this goes back to Vol'jin a little bit. And who... Why he doesn't know who whisper to him and why none of the powers of death, none of them that we've talked to, know who uh, whisper to him. I don't think anybody whispered to him. I think it was Sylvanas. And here's the reason why. I think this was stage two. Stage two was you take control of everything. You have to go and, and do this entire war. You have to do literally as much as you can. And I think the whisper started earlier. I think Helia was in contact with her before Legion. The reason I say this is because one thing that they've made a very distinct point over the last couple of years with Sylvanas as a character is showing her having all of these abilities that she's never had before. The black arrows that she had, the tendrils, the raising of the dead. They, they she keep does ramping in, it up from the moment the things, from the moment she made the deal with those Valkyr. The things she does in Heroes of the Storm. One thing, the only thing that she has not done from Heroes of the Storm that, that she can do is mind control limited mind control 
she was very quiet during that whole thing with Vol'jin dying. What if she was the one whispering because the Valkyr, because this jailer, because these entities all along told her flat out, you need to take control and start a massive war. We need soul. And here's the fun part. That that part where she was standing there at the end of that cinematic and they took Volgen's mm-hmm. body away and it seemed like she was in shock that this thing happened to her. Maybe it wasn't shock that she had just become yep. War Chief, but shock that, oh my God, this actually worked. worked. Yep. Wow. That's, mm. yeah. This I've been sitting incredible. on that for three days. It's beautiful, man. See, Crow, yeah. this is this is why Lore Watch is really fun. <laughs> <laughs> We just bounce off of each other like this all the time. We should have you on the show more than once. I don't know. Maybe we should make it a four-host show. I don't know. But, like, seriously. I am happy to come back if I'm not stepping on anybody's toes. Yeah. Right now, though, like I said, next week we need to talk Diablo 4 with Rossi because he pegged so many things that were correct, obviously. They played that. They started, ugh. The way that they introduced that was masterful. They did the countdown. They got to four. And it stopped, and the cinematic started. And um, I'm I'm gonna jump from Shadowlands to that very briefly here, just because we're running out of time. And I know if we keep talking Shadowlands stuff, we're gonna go over time. So <laughs> I'm gonna jump over to Diablo Four very briefly to talk about that cinematic. I don't know about you guys, but when he was saying, when he was doing that whole chanting speech thing, and he's like come to us and I was sitting here at my computer screeching at the top of my lungs Lilith just say it Lilith Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then it finally happened what did you guys think about that cinematic man that was dark no wonder they had the warnings there it's a return back to the grim dark roots of the original like I, I was talking about this in work chat you read through the original manual for Diablo back when games came with manuals, mind you. And we're not talking like little like instruction booklets. No, like, like a this big was book. a tome. Yeah, this was a tome. And in that tome, they tell you all of the things that happened, including like, I don't know, Mephisto being gifted Inarius and then torturing him for all of eternity and how exactly he's doing it. I won't go into the details because some of that stuff is really gruesome. But like that game was grim, dark dungeon crawling. And that's where the story started from was like, what is the darkest, meanest, demonic, most heavy metal things we can do? Let's make a game about it. Yeah, it was basically let's let's take death metal and make it into a video game. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, That cinematic was very much a return to form for Diablo. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. The Black Soulstone cinematic that they uh, showed at BlizzCon that was like the first year that I was at BlizzCon, actually. They they had announced Diablo 3, and one of the things that they did during the opening ceremonies was they played the Black Soulstone cinematic where, where Leah's sitting there, and, and then she has those visions and things like that. And that was disturbing, don't get me wrong, but it, but was, it was nowhere. It was nowhere on the level of what we saw on Friday. Now, one quick thing I will say for those of you that are listening, if you haven't seen the video, don't worry if you don't want to see the absolute m-rated one they did release two trailers side by side there is an edited version that you can watch that greatly reduces the amount of gore that is in the video uh the quote it's more family friendly uh so if you go to the official uh youtube really? channel yes um it, it's also was a sign outside of blizzcon where you had the choice of both because one of the halls was showing the edited one for people that didn't have the m-rated so one. here's my question do you think that Diablo 4 is going to come with two versions? 
Do you think I'm they're likely. going to pull? Do you think they're going to pull a Walmart and release like the clean version? No, I think, no. I, think I, anything, I don't see that happening at all. If anything, they're going to have an option that lets you turn the blood off or down. That's a pretty common thing that's been in video games for over a decade at this point. It's a pretty easy yeah. thing for them to toggle where you just don't yeah. see blood anymore. So okay, I, I think I think that's more likely. Okay, or it's Dragon Age yeah. and you just ask your dog, "Hey, can you lick all of this blood off?" <laughs> love that dog oh boy so uh i got a little bark spawn crow crow what did you think about the cinematic and everything Um, because you're you're as into diablo as as rossi is i think so maybe maybe not as far as rossi but uh but but i've been i've been definitely getting into it lately um the the topic of uh of you know what what does diablo 4 do to get uh, to get the Diablo 2 community to come back. That's been a topic that people have been talking about for a while. There was a conversation I was having on Reddit uh, last week where uh, somebody was saying, look, we need we need Diablo 4 to be dark. We need to make it, it needs to make me uncomfortable. I need to feel like real terror while I'm playing it. And I'm sitting here being like, look, I personally do not want to get my blood pressure up over a game that I'm playing to relax. So if team three decides that they want to make that game, you know, more power to them. I respect that they're doing it. And I respect that it's the game that, that you and some other people may want. I won't be able to play it myself because I know what my limitations are and what my sensibilities are like and, and what I'll be able to stand. And, 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 you know, it, it ultimately it's a good conversation because it's, it's, you want to be able to, you don't want to, you don't want to harness creators too hard and say, don't go too far over the edge uh but you also want to say but if you're going to go over the edge honestly don't go crazy so what what um i'm sorry none of that made a whole lot of sense but (laughs) what uh what i what i was landing on with with diablo 4's cinematic when i saw it is just like okay this is this is harrowing and this is graphic and it is pushing some of the limitations of what I think I can stand, but I think I can stand it enough because I'm really, really interested in what's happening right now. I want to know who these guys are. I want to know um, what it is that they're doing. And, oh, no, it's Lilith. Okay, now I'm really concerned about Lilith being here, and I have to know what we need to do to get to, to get her back under control because Lilith is one of the big bads of the franchise that we haven't really touched on until now. Yeah, so and I'm I think very excited. The yeah. universe wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Lilith. No, no, it wouldn't. Sanctuary would not exist if it weren't for Lilith. But the thing is, is number one, Rossi went over a lot of this in, in great detail last week, which I was really kind of happy about because. It's hard to understand exactly how Lilith fits into the whole picture, but Lilith is the reason that the Nephilim even exist. And with the way that Reaper of Souls ended with Tyrael and, um, oh my gosh, I forget his name. Malthael? No, the other the other big angel, the one that hates us all. Uh, Imperious. Yes, Imperious. Snooty. Mr. Snooty Snoot. Um with the two of them watching the Nephilim as the Nephilim basically shredded one of these angel creatures that was like imbued with all of the powers of the prime evils and everything like this incredibly, incredibly powerful being that, that in all comprehension 
should not have been able to be defeated. Not only did the Nephilim defeat them handily, but he killed them, like just destroyed it. It's and you it's have Tyrael, yeah, you have Tyrael sitting there going, "What did we do?" And you have Imperius behind him going, "Yeah, dude, I told you so." Like you don't and, remember like five thousand years ago when we had this talk? Yeah. Um, and I hate to say it, but in this instance, maybe Imperius was right. I'm I'm really fascinating, fascinated with seeing how Diablo 4 plays because they said that it's not going to have so much of the traditional narrative with it. Um, at the same time, I feel like they almost kind of have to have a little bit of that narrative because the way that Lilith fits into all of this, as Rossi was saying last week, Lilith was trying to empower the Nephilim to the point where they could destroy everything and end the eternal conflict for good. And honestly, right now, we're kind of at that level. The Nephilim are at that level. So Lilith making a reappearance at this point in time has me wondering, is she somebody we're going to be fighting? Or is she somebody who's going to try and coerce us? Like, like I don't know, pulling um, uh, Mother Gothel entangled where, you know, Mother knows best and she's our mom and would like us to do things for her, that kind of... Are we going to be tricked by her? Is she just going to come to us straight up and say, hi, I'm the reason you exist. You should be, you know, doing things for me. This is the real story of what's going on and this is why I chose to do what I did. You know, are we going to have to make that choice or is that choice being made for us as players or... There's just so much there that I'm really fascinated. I, I want to know the answers to all of this. Go yeah, ahead, Joe. I was going to say uh, it's going to be very interesting. And if it if it's anything like I suspect they're going to do, I think it's going to follow a narrative style closer to Diablo 2. Like Diablo 3 had a cohesive story. Uh, and it was definitely you played through it and everything you did was just a 100% like, I'm not going to say on rails, but it was very point a to point c you might take a diversion to point b in and Diablo i mean if you're paying was... attention they told you exactly how the story was going to yes. play out at the very beginning of that i didn't like that very much but anyway go ahead yeah. but in diablo 2 while there was an overarching goal and there was an overarching story the zones themselves all had a million things going on and all had their own self-contained stories but so you found quests npcs and things like that in the world that were happening at the same time and from what I'm seeing, it seems like this is going to be very similar. There's going to be an overarching story. There's definitely setting things in motion. But when they were talking about the world of Diablo in Diablo 4, they were talking about these zones having their own lives, having their own stories, having things that are happening inside of them. And that's where we fit in as players. So I think we're going to have both pieces. I think there's going to be a big story. There's going to be something that that happens. We're going to get to like these big conflicts and these big story epic moments. But as we're doing it, we're going to be experiencing the world and the story of the world in a way that we did not get to in Diablo. Do you guys think that potentially we'll be getting more DLC, more expansion sets with Diablo 4 than we would can, have with Diablo 3? They confirmed in one of the one-on-one interviews that they're they're already planning to, to expand upon the game when Diablo 4 releases. Awesome. I'm really excited about this and I'm really excited to actually like play it. I'm excited for Shadowlands. I'm excited for I'm excited for everything. This week this weekend was just it was a lot. It was a lot a lot. And with that though, we're actually running on the one hour mark, so we're gonna have to cut it off for here. And I'm very, very sorry, guys. But 
since we are weekly now, we will be back next week. We will have Rossi with us. He will inundate us with so much Diablo lore, it will be bleeding out your ears, which is probably only appropriate given the genre. But we'll also go back and we'll touch more on Shadowlands. Speaking of which, if you have any questions for the, sh- for the show, you can send those in to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Be sure that you put Lorewatch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for this show. And you can ask us about anything that happened at BlizzCon, any of the story beats from any of the games you can ask us about overwatch 2 diablo 4 uh shadowlands we don't care we will go ahead and address it all um whether or not we'll actually warcraft get... 3 reforged warcraft <laughs> we, 3 reforged we could we could talk the about sto- that too but the thing is is um we may or may not get to the emails next week but go ahead and send them in anyway because we will Please. be answering those as time yes. permits as time goes on and i may even make a special concession just to make sure that we answer at least one email next week um because it's been a while since we've been able to address those uh blizzard watch by the way is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzard watch and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow blizzard watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue and an ads free site experience. Okay, guys, final thoughts. Well, first up, before we get to final thoughts, Crow, I just want to thank you again for hopping in on the show and, and stepping up and being a delight actually throughout the whole experience here. So thanks for stopping by. Absolutely a pleasure. Thanks so much for having. Okay. And final thoughts out of all of the stuff that we got at BlizzCon, and I mean all of the stuff that we got at BlizzCon, what's the one thing that you guys are excited for the most? Joe? I mean, it's going to go without question, Shadowlands. I'm hearing everything about the different zones. I'm already planning out which of my alts are going where. I'm already planning on how I'm going to level things, and I cannot wait to get into that story, get into that meat and dive in and just see what what the heck is going on. Also, because I have a nice little notebook now desk with all the things that i'm predicting that they're not <laughs> you're keeping a running tally so am i i, I got do a no- i got a notebook document anyway crow same question um shadowlands promises to be just just the beginning of a huge and amazing thing but i have to admit that uh that if there's if there's something that i'm looking for it's what are the content patches we're going to see during shadowlands are we going to go to different well realms of the dead than the four or five we've been introduced to what does that look like um but at the same time too i also have to be honest and say no man i've been waiting for overwatch 2 story for a long time now's the time (laughs) now is the time for us to figure out why the monkey wanted to get the band back together and i am excited to see everything that's entailed there it's going to be fantastic He's not a monkey. He's a scientist, but I will give you that. And I feel the same way. Um, I am looking forward, obviously, to Shadowlands because, holy cow, guys, World of Warcraft just opened up an entire new plane of existence. And in that has demonstrated that we don't need more continents on Azeroth because there are so many places on that cosmology chart that we have yet to explore. And maybe someday we will go to them all that in and of itself really kind of like gives me goosebumps just thinking about it but on top of that overwatch 2 i have been a proponent of more story and it's like it's like it's like jeff was speaking to me when he was like one of the pieces of feedback we get the most is more story in overwatch and i'm sitting there nodding going yes jeff yes i've been saying this for so long now i've been saying this for so 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 long anyway um i'm so glad you got my email jeff so glad you've been following my Twitter feed since I don't know you announced the game, but yeah, um, 
I'm very excited to see how that plays out. And I'm one of those people that is absolutely, I mean, do I have Overwatch 1? Yes. Do I play it? Occasionally. But I also know that I'm not that great at first-person shooters, and I don't want to bring anybody else's ranking down. So I don't play very often because I know I'm bad. And I'm okay with admitting that I am bad. Um, If I could play Hanzo effectively, I would probably be a Hanzo main. Um... But beyond dirty. that, so dirty. So you hate payloads, is what I'm hearing. Uh, yeah, but beyond <laughs> that, beyond that, no, actually, I would say that like Winston is my second favorite character, and I love sitting on the payload. But anyway, um, beyond that, the story of Overwatch is something that I've been entranced with, and that's why I've done all of those know your lores about it, and that's why we have a story guide for Overwatch. Is just because this is the first time ever with Blizzard, from my experience anyway, that we've gotten to see like the birth of a new IP from day one and been able to catalog all of that lore and and follow all of it and make an encyclopedia out of it from day one. And that excited me and it still excites me to this day and I can't wait to see where this story goes from here. Anyway, that's it for us. We will be back again next week with another episode of Lore Watch, and we will see you guys then. 